Welcome to Maker Mom, a podcast where I explore the stories of Maker Moms and the life they lead. Each week, I will bring you the behind the scenes story of a new Maker Mom. I'm Katie Freeman, a furniture designer and content creator running FreemanFurnishings.com and your host of the Maker Mom podcast. You can find Maker Moms hanging out in the Facebook community at Maker Moms and on the web at MakerMomPodcast.com. If you love what you hear, please subscribe, leave a stellar review, and share this out with other Maker Moms you know. Hello and welcome to episode 101 of the Maker Mom podcast. This week's guest is Emily of Emily Joyce Official. Emily is an enamel artist, the first one I've had on the podcast, and she was such a joy to chat with and get to learn about her journey into starting her own maker business, which is actually more recently. Uh, so it was great to chat with her and chat with her about starting a business basically at the same time the pandemic started. So I think there's a lot of good pointers and tips in this episode for those of you who may be in the same situation, as long as just a great story, um, about her journey to here. Before we hop into the interview with Emily though, I need to give a big shout out and thank you to the patrons over on Patreon. So thank you so much. Lauren of Rasp and File Designs, Sven of Dwarf Sized Workshop, Rachel of Moody Makes, Bonnie, Tool Mom Bonnie, ToolMomStore.com, Laura, Oakley Soap Company, Mary Lou, Made by Mary Lou, Amy, Bison Valley Carving, Dan and Kelly, Reclaim Living Store, Brandy, Studio Obey, Kathy, One Girl and Her Tools, Ellen, Little Bear Furniture, and Ethan, Ethan Carter Designs. Thank you all so very much. Um, It's with your support that I continue to produce two episodes a week, so thank you all for that. And with no further ado, here is Emily of Emily Joyce Official. Awesome. My name is Emily. Um, I was born and raised in Cleveland, Ohio, and I have been, I always like to think like I'm established in May 19th, 1984, because <laughs> that was when I was born. <laughs> and I feel like, you know, um, I've always been an artist. I've always considered myself an artist for as young as I can think back. And um, I was highly influenced by my dad, who always had a hobby or a project, and my grandmother, who was a seamstress. And I would spend summers with my grandma and just watch her have people come in and out of the house and hem their hem their clothes and also make really funny dolls and she had the best sense of humor so um I was lucky to be around her when I was being you know growing up um so that's kind of like the basis of me from a young age mm-hmm Kind of always having that creativity as part of your. Yeah, you're going to, and Katie, you're going to have to keep me on track too. Like I will go, I like forget what I was even talking about. I have severe (laughs) self-diagnosed ADD. So just (laughs) back in if I I look like I'm trailing or it sounds (laughs) funny. But yeah, I, um, you know, I've always, I guess I've always been an artist um, from as young as I can remember. 
Yeah, I like that. Now, if you are in Cleveland, does that mean you're a Browns fan? Um, yes. <sighs> yes. Okay, I yes. suppose. It's, it's, you know what, I love, I love Cleveland. I have a huge, huge love for our city. And I really love the Browns. My mom has been a season ticket holder forever. Even when the Browns weren't in Cleveland and there was that big controversy, um, we never win, but we still love our team. And that's, <laughs> that's pure dedication and hope. That is. <laughs> so. That's like me. Uh, my, my wife has turned me into a Cubs fan. So I understand that whole, like, <laughs> you just, you know, we – we finally did win the World Series, but up until then, it was like, you know, totally non- nonstop every season, like big hopes and then nothing. So, <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, we went, I think we went an entire season without winning. Now, and that's- now if you were a Bengals fan, I, I might have to stop the, uh, <laughs> the podcast. Um, Interview over. Yeah, I'm a Steelers (laughs) fan, so that's why I had to ask about the Browns. That's Um, okay. I still like you. My sister moved to Pittsburgh, and and she's a traitor, and we um, still love her, so it's okay. It's okay. I'll still talk to you. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Um, Now, I think we could both agree if either one of us was a Patriots fan, that would definitely be the end of the conversation. Yeah, we would both. We would just hang up now. Yes, yes, exactly. (laughs) Um... Now that we've digressed into football, but um, all right. So you feel like you've always been an artist, um, kind of grown up with that um, creativity around you uh, with your family. Uh, but like, what were your, what were some of the things you were into, like kind of as you grew up, you know, like into like junior high and high school years, like what were the things that were interest, interesting to you? You know, I was a child of the outdoors, and I was really interested in digging in the dirt and riding my bike around the block and collecting collecting things and putting them in my water bottle on my bike and taking them home. I've always had a junk collection. I remember I used to keep it in the den um, when I was growing up in this little cigar box of just like looking back and like when I have my memory of looking in this box, it was pure garbage that I found on the road. Um, But I've always been like interested in, you know, exploring, collecting, huge curiosity. Um, I remember um, always being really interested in building three-dimensionally from as like early as elementary school. I remember my art teacher, she wore really funny hats and we did lots of paper mache. And I was all in. Um, I was a terrible student otherwise. Um, in terms of like my elementary classrooms, I have, I don't even know the names of my teachers, whereas my husband can rattle off every teacher he's ever had from like preschool through college. Like I don't even remember their names, but I do appreciate them. Um, but I guess like I've always been interested in making sculptures and collecting and digging and um, I guess my, my biggest, especially in junior high, I had this art teacher whose name was Mr. Giacono, who, um, he, we like, I don't think we did any art, but we learned a lot of art history. Um, and everybody else thought it was so boring. At least I assumed that they did based on their faces, <laughs> but I really loved it. So 
art has always just been really, really important to me. Um, and I always, I always kind of go back and forth, like, you know, what am I? I don't really know. Am I an artist? Am I a maker? Am I a craftsperson? Isn't that like the age old question for many of us? Like, yeah, yeah. Um, though I do feel like maker is probably like the broadest of terms. Cause I feel right. like, I mean, how I define it, like how I've defined it for like the podcast right. is, is, you know, if you make something with your own two hands, then you're a maker. That's, you know, and that could be like painting, like artist, um, or it could be, you know, screen printing, or it could be woodworking. I mean, to me, if you're using your own two hands, you're, you're a, maker. a maker. Yeah, for sure. So then what about post high school? Post high school. So I went to well, I can't tell you about post-high school until I tell you that my high school art teacher really pushed me into going to art school um, without her guidance. I don't know where I would be right now. Um, and so I, I went to art school, and I went to Cleveland Institute of Art, and I went in thinking I was going to be a fiber major and um, ended up majoring in enameling, which is an art that so many people don't know very much about. Um, and they don't even have that major anymore. There's, I don't think there's a school in, I don't think there's a school that offers that as a major in the United States right now. Um, so I went, I went and got a degree in enameling and then, um, I was like, oh gosh, what am I going to do with this? I don't know. I'm going to go to school and be an art teacher, um, which felt like a very natural fit for me. Um, and I taught art for the last 12 years and I recently, <laughs> so my kind of now I'm to the point where uh, three years ago, I decided it's not what I wanted to do the rest of my life. And I painted, a, <laughs> I, I started this dog portrait painting business and painted a lot of really cute puppies and saved up a ton of money so that I could quit my job and pursue my craft. Okay. So that's kind of, okay. in so, general, like abroad, how that happened. Right. So, okay. So if you were born in 1984, you're just a very few uh, years younger than I am. And I know as a child of the 80s, like, and having kind of that artistic uh, drive as well, like, at least my mom preached to me, you can't make money as an artist. Like you can be an artist as a hobby, you know, as like your free time, but you have to do something that like pays the bills. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm just curious about like, you know, what were your conversations like at home? Like you had this great art teacher who really encouraged you to go to art school. Um, did you get any pushback from, from family or friends or community when you're like, yep, that's what I'm going to go do? You know, I no. my, my parents have always supported me, even when they thought the idea was absolutely crazy. <laughs> um, and they still do. They still, they still support me, even though they might not, <laughs> I don't know what they think about me, actually. but I think, uh, you know, when I said, like, I think I'm going to go to art school, they were kind of like, okay, she has a direction. 
Mm-hmm. Whereas before, before, like, I'm sure they were, now that I have kids, I kind of watch some, like, I kind of watch my middle kind of like float through life. Like, I don't even know if she really knows what day it is or where she is. And, you know, I think I was a lot like that. So I think when I was like, okay, mom, I'm going to go to art school. She was probably like, oh, thank you. <laughs> Get her somewhere. <laughs> so, um, and then they always backed me whatever I wanted to do a hundred percent and um, they support me and, and love me. So I'm very blessed and lucky to have that relationship. I know that. Yeah. Um, I think it does make a, a world of difference, at least starting out. Right. Like mm-hmm. if you, if you've got that uh, support to, to kind of chase your dreams or if somebody's like trying to redirect you, it does make a difference. Uh at least how you start out in your adult life. Right. Um, so went to art school, went thinking you were going to be a fiber artist. What changed your mind to get into enameling? You know, I took a, um, I think I just took an enameling class and fell in love with my instructor, Gretchen, and just was like, this is it. Like, I I loved the immediacy. Um, I liked the surprise factor, the fact, what I don't like is that like you can plan a piece all the way through and then at the very last minute crack your enamel. Like I don't like that, (laughs) but it was such a, um, something I had never done before and never had, you know, any even knowledge of it. Um, And then found the, I found fiber arts to be harder than I expected in a sense of like, you know, there's a lot of science in it. You have to dye your fabric. There's a lot of math. And, you know, that kind of stuff, like, I just couldn't, it didn't seem like the way to go. Whereas enameling, Mm -hmm. I feel like it's more abstract and um, it's like you can, it's whimsical. Like you can do anything. You can just, I can be working on 10 things at a time and that's okay. Um, And it's beautiful. (laughs) <laughs> I think enamel is beautiful. Yeah. Um, at any point, did you consider going into like um, uh, sculptural art? I took sculpture. It wasn't. It wasn't for me at that point in my life. Mm-hmm. Looking back now, I would love to take more. I would love to get back into sculpture because now I've been working with bigger metals recently mm-hmm. and making, um, making things that are large scale and out of steel. So now I'm like, now I'm getting into it. It's just at the time in my age and who I was at that time, mm-hmm. this enameling was the fit. Okay. So, I mean, you get out of art school now. Did you, so did you go back to get more, like a teaching degree on, in addition to that or? Yeah, so like I graduated from this five-year program and I, the next year I entered a one-year program to get a master's in art education. Okay. Like back to back. Yeah, yeah. I don't remember that year of my life (laughs) at all. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not surprised by that, though I give you. I give you big kudos for like going after it. I pretty much finished my bachelor's and I'm like, I'm never going back to school. Yeah. It's like, I don't care how much more money I could make. No, I'm just never going back to school. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's funny you say that because like at the time, that's what drove me was money. I was like, I need to make money. 
Mm-hmm. I don't want to move back home. I want to have my, I've been loving having my own apartment. I want to, you know, live the life and have, you know, work with kids and change the world mm-hmm. and make money doing it. And that was what sounded really great. Yeah. So what age group uh, did you teach? I started teaching high school for two years in Cleveland, and then I switched to a private school where I taught kindergarten up into eighth grade. Okay. Um, what, were you able to continue, like, practicing your craft, your enameling, like, outside of the classroom? No, I was, I mean, a little bit. I would get little bursts of, I guess I would even call them pockets, little mm-hmm. tiny pockets of, of creativity where I would come down in the studio and, and make something. Um, but I mean, I know, you know, but once you start having children and their babies, it's not happening. Yeah. <laughs> and then working full time, mm-hmm. um, it was just too much. So, you know, I got to a point where I was really, really unhappy. Mm-hmm. Um, not with, obviously not with my family, just I was lacking something. I was missing that creative piece of mm-hmm. myself that I think if you're an artist or a maker, like that piece is so important and you have to feed it or else yeah. you get depressed, you get sad. Yeah, absolutely. I was feeling, was feeling sad. Yeah. So, I mean, you mentioned, you, you said your middle child. I did, I did not ask at the start of the podcast, how many kids do you have? I have three girls, um, a nine-year-old, a seven-year-old, and a five-year-old, okay. and um, they're wonderful and great, and I absolutely love being a mom. Love them. Yeah. Do they, um, did any of them get to take art class from you? Yes. The oldest. <laughs> How was that? How was that uh, <laughs> going from mom to teacher? Well, I will tell you that on the first day of class, I made her cry. Um, <laughs> and it make anybody cry all week except for her. And it's only because like, she grew up in my art room. Mm-hmm. You know, she was there all the time. She knew where everything was. So while I'm teaching, trying to explain to a group of first graders, you know, where are the scissors and how to hold them? You know, she gets up and like goes and opens the cabinet and takes them out. And it's like, here they are, everybody. And I was like, Nora, you have to sit down. Like you can't get up. And so like after like six messages in one class about that, I was like, Nora, you have to sit down. Like very, very mom voice. Yes. And she just looked at me like, oh my gosh, I'm so embarrassed. And I felt terrible. You know, then we had a talk on the car ride home about, expectations when your mom's the teacher I mean it was like so funny yeah my my mom I never was in her classroom but my mom was a teacher she was a talented and gifted uh teacher yeah for elementary school and my younger sisters though uh took uh class from her you know once or twice a week for uh quite a few years in elementary school and I remember listening to her side of it, just being like, you know, they don't listen to me. They treat me like mom and not like a teacher Yeah. Uh, in the classroom. And I'm like, yeah, that makes total sense. I mean, you know, it, yeah. is, it is one of those things. Like my children are much more better behaved for their teachers than they are for me. Um. 100%. <laughs> <laughs> so 
what okay so you you did your dog portraits were you still teaching when you were doing that yep okay yep um. <laughs> I mean I'm really sorry to the school I worked at because some of some of my colleagues will listen to this maybe but um I would do my in my planning periods mm -hmm. um I would just I had a table set up and I took lots of orders and I and um it was so I, something I really loved doing I did watercolors and I I adored it now you ask me to paint a dog or a cat and I'm like I don't have time no sorry I don't, I don't think I can do that for you <laughs> because now I'm home and I you know when you're mm -hmm. at work and you're painting a dog it's like you're it's on your planning period it's you're there anyway right plus um, it was probably giving you some of giving you back some of that creativity definitely um, and so it was something you probably I would assume looked forward to to doing yeah um but yeah, I, I, I totally get that. Um, it's easier for me actually when I'm doing my job job stuff to uh, be more regimented about getting in like social media posts mm -hmm. um, that are about my making uh, when I'm on breaks at those job jobs versus yeah. like, you know, if I'm in the shop or if I'm um, at home doing whatever other work. But yeah, I totally understand if you're already like held someplace it makes it easier to get it done right um so you did that for how long the the portraits two years two years okay yeah. so it sounds like I mean are you pretty new to getting into being able to kind of leave teaching and do your craft full-time yep this is I told my boss last year in November I was not coming back um and then you know, we had this pandemic and they were kind of like, are you sure, are you sure you want to do this? And I went, I was almost, I was so close to not doing it, but I, I was like, no, I, I have to, I have to do it now. Like I've already planned for it. If I don't do it, I might never do it. Um, and it was like, my youngest was starting kindergarten there. And so I just, I just did it. Mm-hmm. So I think you were like, you're in a, a unique position for several reasons on this podcast. One, I've never had anybody who does enameling on. Two, I've never had anybody starting their artist business during a pandemic. Mm -hmm. So how's that have, going? <laughs> how's that yeah. going? Yeah. <laughs> well, I think pretty soon my friends are going to get tired of buying my art <laughs> and I'm going to have to figure out what to do like so it's been it's been interesting number one i was banking on holiday shows mm -hmm. you know um i my my dream was to do this art craft show at this beautiful warehouse downtown i've been going to it for the last 10 years i was like my goal for december is to get in that show contacted the guy who runs it he's like yeah eh, i don't know if it's gonna happen <laughs> i was like oh so Right now, what I'm doing is um, just trying to make work that is cheap enough to sell that I still love. Um, mm -hmm. And I struggle with that because a lot of the work I make is, is um, more expensive. I knew the mailman was going to come right now. <laughs> I knew it. Um, that's my dog, Winnie. That's um, okay. So I, barely, I, barely, I barely heard Winnie, if that makes you feel better. Okay, good. <laughs> just going to keep going. Yeah. <laughs> so... Um, I've been reaching out, 
I've been reaching out to galleries. I've been, um, I, I'm going to go visit a gallery after we talk today to bring in some of my work. I've been trying to make work that is um, like under $50. Um, any, any opportunity I find or get, I say yes to. Um, and I'm just, I guess I'm hustling. Mm -hmm. I guess mm -hmm. that's what it's called. You just, I'm just trying to do the thing and um, I love it. It's been great. So, I mean, I would imagine even when you were still teaching and you got into doing like, I'm just going to call it like pet portraits. Yeah. Like you probably had to do a certain amount of hustling for that or oh, was yeah. it all like word of mouth and you just kind of, it all caught fire. Oh, I'd had an Insta, I have an Instagram for that. I made mm -hmm. business cards. I left them everywhere. I went to the um, shelters. I reached out. I mean, I, I just networked and networked and networked. And it was actually a really good practice for yeah. what I'm doing now. And um, it helped me in a lot of ways. So I'm grateful for it. But yeah, I, 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 I did giveaways. I did the whole thing. Um, and it helps too. It helps too that people love their animals. And yes. I love animals too. <laughs> so it was like, it was a great feel good. I mean, it was the perfect thing to do at the time because everybody feels good. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so before I ask any further questions around kind of like the business aspect, I want to give you a chance. Um, cause like you said, I mean, I'm going to be honest. I did not know what enameling was until I watched the video that Ashley put together. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and I kind of know the story of like, that's why a little bit that you had her put that together is because people don't understand what it is. Mm -hmm. Um, so I want to give you a chance, though, to kind of just, you know, maybe broad terms, explain, like, what is enameling to people who are, you know, going to be listening to this episode? Okay. Enameling is fused glass to a metal surface. Most of the time, it's copper, steel, or silver. There are so many different processes with enameling. Um, there's processes that are really ancient, like cloisonne or champlevé or pliquejure, like all of these beautiful enamels, enamel pieces that take many, many, many hours of time to create. Um, then there's more simple effects that you can do like stenciling, scraffitoing, um, and all with manipulating powdered glass onto metal. So my main process is I actually take a sifter and I take powdered glass, most of the time it's unleaded, and sift it over sheet, copper, and then layer upon layer build up to create imagery. And um, right now my imagery is a lot of paper, uh, and found notes or letters, um, a lot of inspiration from doilies and crochet work, and a lot of inspiration about um, singing um, because I really miss, I, I love karaoke and I really miss, uh, the school and singing and choir and, mm -hmm. um, just thinking about the pandemic in that term. So I did, so I, I'm trained and I know how to do all of those processes. I would say my favorites are cloisonne and just plain old sifting and layering and, um, drawing with it. So Okay. And your studio space, you said is still, it's like in, in the basement. Yep. Um, so I, from the video I saw, I mean, you're working with 
heat, right? Mm -hmm. um, so do you have like furnaces set up like in your basement? Or? Yeah, so I have a kiln. I forgot to mention that very important part is how do you actually melt the glass, Emily? <laughs> well, I have a kiln. You can do it two ways. You can use a kiln or you can use a torch. Okay. Um, if I'm doing really small pieces, I use a torch. Um, and it's an acetylene torch mm -hmm. with an oxygen tip. And if I'm doing like large scale, I use my kiln. Um, and if I do multiples, I'm, I'm, Katie, I make like 50 things at one time. Um, <laughs> because like, remember I told you that like anything can happen. And by the time, if I make 50 things, I'm guaranteed probably 30 good ones. Okay. So, so I like to like make a ton so that my failure rate still evens out at the end. <laughs> so, I mean, but like with then the things that you say you're making, like with the, like the paper, the found notes and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so are you basically making like 50 of the exact thing, same thing? Depends. And then like, getting 30 that turn out? Yeah. For jewelry. Yeah. Okay. So for jewelry, like right now on my, my bench, I have 10 little tiny paper pieces that are going to turn into earrings. Mm -hmm. um, and I, and I expect to have four. My hope is that I end up with four, four pairs of earrings. Um, and then when I do the large scale work, I usually make like three at the same time. Okay. So maybe even like just describing that. So like what would be typical examples of like enameled work out in the wild? Jewelry would probably to me is an jewelry, obvious one. Jewelry is a huge one. Um, there are so many amazing jewelers all over Instagram. If you, I mean, I, I would just start there if I could recommend anybody to kind of start seeking mm -hmm. what enameling is and can be. Just follow the hashtag enamel. I mean, there is some gorgeous, gorgeous pieces and people that do some really seriously technical, beautiful work. Um, so that's the first. I forgot the question. What was the question? <laughs> Where, what, what kind of things are, how would you see enameling, like oh. I said, out in the wild? But like, so, okay, I, I always see enamel in the wild when I go to an antique store and they have those ashtrays. Oh, yeah. So like back in the 70s, yeah. <laughs> like enamel was really popular and people made ashtrays like galore. And there are some pretty fancy <laughs> ashtrays out there. There's also like plate work. There's some companies like Bavano that do enamel pieces. They're famous for these giant fish. Um, okay. So there is wall pieces available out there like commercially. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess, you know, I had somebody over the other day that was looking at my pieces and they were like, Emily, you, I can't even tell that that's enamel because it look the paper because it looks like paper. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, kudos to me. That's great. Like, okay, I'm getting better. That's good. But at the same time, like, okay, I, I don't, I want them to, I want them to tell that it's enamel. So I have to work on that. Like, how can mm -hmm. I make sure that people can see the glass? Right. Um, so it's something that I'm also thinking about, but okay. I guess, I guess ashtrays would be my number one <laughs> answer. Well, okay. So for you though, what is considered a big piece when you said, you know, if you do a big piece, you do three of them, but what's, what is a big piece for you? So my biggest enamel piece that I can do in my kiln is about 10 inches by 10 inches. Okay. That's as big as I go. So what are you creating? Is it like wall art or? Yep. Okay. Yep. I do a lot of enameled wall pieces that 
resemble paper products, folded notes, paper airplanes. Um, I like to manipulate the copper sheet before I enamel on it. So I will uh, pound on it with on an anvil and wrinkle it, fold it, unfold it. So it resembles like an old note mm -hmm. um, and then enamel it. And the largest piece I've made so far has been the size of a piece of notebook paper. Okay. And I measured the notebook paper exactly. And I'm pretty sure it's like, I think like 10 and a half inches by seven. I should know this. I should write that down. <laughs> I don't take good notes. That's okay. That's all right. All right. So now that there's a little bit better explanation of, you know, what enameling is, um, I wanted to circle back to, you said, you know, as far as you know, there's no where in the U.S. where you can major in it. Yeah. Um, is it seen in the art world as like, is it considered like a dying art? I don't, I think maybe at one time it was, but I don't believe so anymore. And this is just from my six, my last six months of really starting to pay better attention mm -hmm. um, because I have been looking at lots of craft shows um, that are, you know, going on virtually like the Philadelphia craft show and mm -hmm. a couple others. And when I look at the artists that are being featured, many of them use enamel and with their jewelry designs. Um, so I, I don't think it's dying. I think, um, I just don't think that for whatever reason, it's not considered, a, it's considered, it's not considered a major anymore. Okay. And okay. I remember when it went out, like there was a huge backlash and petitions were signed. I signed the petition to keep it, um, going as at the school, but you know, it was, I don't know. I don't know why it closed. Politics, I guess. Mm -hmm. Hey, makers. Today's episode is brought to you by Tool Mom and Company, or some of you know her as Tool Mom Bonnie. Uh, she has all kinds of tool-related merchandise of gifts and clothing for all ages and genders available at Tool Mom Store. Dot com. I have two of the coffee mugs. One says Go Girl, and it has a circular saw with flames coming off the back, which is super sweet. And then the other one is the definition of a tool chick, which just makes you feel kind of badass when you're drinking out of it. So if you are in the market, especially as we're getting close to Christmas, for any tool-related merchandise, be that gifts or clothing, make sure you head on over to toolmomstore.com and extra bonus, you can receive 20% off at checkout if you use the coupon code MAKERMOM. All right, let's jump back into the episode. Um, so, okay. I was curious, I was just curious because again, like even the fact that knowing the fact that you, you know, kind of worked with Ashley to make the video since mm -hmm. people weren't really uh, understanding like what is enameling. It makes me think like maybe we see the product frequently, More often, but, right? but have no idea how it's made. Like, um, I don't know. I, I don't know if you see the process as much. I mean, yeah. I mean, you do know like enamel tabletops, those mm -hmm. beautiful mm -hmm. steel enameled, yeah. those are all enamel on steel that were made in a factory. They're gorgeous. That I love that milky white enamel on steel that are, that make up pot, like old antique yeah. pots and stuff. So like you have seen it, 
you might just not have known the process that it took to get there. And, right. and that's okay. It's like so yeah. many things are right there like that. Yeah. So now that you're, I mean, now that this is something that you want to, um, you know, make your, your livelihood, make mm-hmm. into a business, um, and talking about like trying to make those smaller pieces and stuff. Mm-hmm. Do you, I, I'm going to assume that you struggle like so many of us in kind of the artist maker space in the sense of like figuring out that pricing. Oh yeah. Um, what, I mean, what do you use as your guidelines to even start out? you know, how to price something? I do cost of materials. I pay myself an hourly, hourly, hourly rate wage, an mm-hmm. hourly rage. <laughs> <laughs> and I, um, I use this app that a friend of mine who's a jeweler that does enameling, I reached out to her and said, you know, what do you use? And she told me about this app on your phone for pricing crafts. And hmm. that's been super helpful. Um, but still, sometimes I feel like when I make a wall piece, you know, I still sometimes feel like it's priced too high. The general public's going to look at this and be like, what is she thinking? Um, but at the end of the day, another really, another colleague and somebody I went to school with has told me time and again, like, you know, you need to charge your worth and add tax. Like, you mm-hmm. need to not apologize for what you believe is the right price for something and, you know, but also following obvious guidelines of, you know, the time it took and right, the cost right. of materials. Yeah. But, you know, I, I, I don't know. I just struggle with that completely. Um, and just from talking to people, uh, the guy who does the art craft shows was like, you know, you really should think about how to think about how you can do something that it's 40 bucks you know, something that people can mm-hmm. access and, you know, and then wear and then be able to support you and be able to like love because it's enamel. And he's like, I know that's hard because he, you know, he knows the process pretty well. He's an, another artist, but I don't know. It's just, that's a, that's the age old question. It's hard. It's hard to price your work and it's yeah. hard to put it out there. Right. Right. And I think, um, you know, and I, heard this discussion on other podcasts as well uh, around like kind of craftsman uh, goods and it's like in the end are we in a race to the bottom to who can like you know provide you something at the least cost Um, and and really as an industry should we be all holding each other up and pushing each other to increase our prices so that the market knows, okay, if you're getting something that's handmade, you should expect that it's going to cost you more than something that comes from a factory. Right. I had a, I did a art walk this, the last weekend and I had a pair of earrings that were a champlevé, sterling silver, soldered hinges. Like I put a lot of time and effort into these and one pair of earrings and she said, how much are they? And I said, they're 75. And she was like, oh, no, why so expensive? Like, why? (laughs) And I was, you know, I have to be paid. I have to remember, too, to, like, be patient and educate and Mm -hmm. not take things personally. 
Um, but I just said, you know, because I spent 12 hours on them. Like I've, I, I spent a lot of, they should be more, but they should be, more. you know, <laughs> I, I, I just like, I have to get them out because not even you know, paying yourself minimum no, wage. Not at all. Not at all. <laughs> and you know, it's, it's, it's just hard. Mm-hmm. It's hard. It's hard to be patient. Yeah. Yeah. I, and that's, um, I find myself walking this line to, you know, frequently I'll be making something, um, and, you know, and once I'm done, my wife will be like, okay, so what are you going to price it at? And I'll, you know, tell her and she's like, nobody's, and, and, and not disrespect to what I created, but she's like, nobody's going to pay that. And it's like, somebody out there will. Um, and so it's like, I need to not look at, I do need to understand the market and what somebody's willing to pay for something as a business. But understanding the value of my time, my creativity, my ideas, um, and price it as such. Uh, but then that's where I bring in like content creation, you know, because I too, I try not to take it to heart, but it does still bug me when I get a, a someone's like, well, you know, that's not worth that. Or, you know, materials are only this or whatever. And it's like, yeah, I get it. Uh, but you're not just paying for materials. Right. If you're just paying for materials, then you can learn how to do it yourself right. <laughs> and it's, do it yourself. It's, it's so true, too. And I think, like, I'm working on something right now that I have had in my head for a very long time, longer, <laughs> longer even than before I decided to leave my job. And, you know, I've been slowly collecting the tools I need to make this thing perfect. Um, and, gosh, like, for, for as much time and energy and research I've done into this project, like, and it hasn't even barely been started. I just started stamping letters into this thing like two days ago. Right. And I'm like, yeah, finally I can start, but I'm still waiting for tools to come. I'm, you know, it's so like the time, the money that I've invested, the time it's going to take to create them. Like all of those factors are the things that, sometimes don't even get included in the price because right. <laughs> they take so much longer than people even realize. Um, are you sure. currently, are you currently in any galleries? You said, you know, you're going to be meeting with one after, after we chat. Um, yeah. I'm at galleries right now. Yeah. I have one, one place right now that I work really closely with and it's a gallery that's local to where I live and it's called the artisans corner gallery. And um, then I'm going to Cleveland Heights to look at a gallery. And then I'm going to go to Mentor next week to bring my work to a gallery. Um, and then another, <laughs> I forgot about this one. And then another one on the west side of Cleveland. Um, I'm meeting with them in, I think, two weeks. So, uh, Do you hope or have you seen, like, are you able to get more of the pricing that you deserve when you're selling through a gallery? I think so. Um, you know, I, galleries take a commission. Um, and I guess I made the mistake years ago where I would, you just jack up my prices to make the money off the commission, but I've since stopped doing that. And so like the price that you see on my website is the same price you're going to see at the gallery. And I think of that, it, it's a little bit of a cut and it's, you know, but mm -hmm. 
you know, you have to think too, like the galleries are there to promote you. Um, they're there to showcase your work and they do it beautifully and in person, hopefully most mm -hmm. of the time, except for this year. And, you know, I think a lot of times, like if a gallery does it well, like the place I'm in locally, the artisans gallery, she does the most amazing job. <laughs> Every time I walk in there, my work is in a different space. She moves things around. She every, I, I mean, I think I go in there every two weeks and like she's got something new happening. So she's, I mean, I like to find a place and that's the thing too. Like just because I go to the gallery doesn't mean that I'm going to put my work in there. Mm -hmm. It has to be the right fit for everybody. Um, but the person I'm working with right now in, uh, at the artisans gallery is just fabulous. Like, so I'm willing to kind of like keep everything the same because I want people, to, I want to build that trust too with people, you know, and mm -hmm. I want, I want the gallery to make money so that they stay open and showcase my work. Right. Right. Um, so I hope I'm looking at that the right way. Yeah. 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 So right now, uh, three kiddos, are you, are they schooling virtually? I mean, are you working around, uh, helping them with school and then doing your work? So they went three, the first three weeks they were virtual and then we sent them back in person. Um, this is their third week back in person. Okay. I think right. it's three weeks. Yes. It's the third week back in person and it's been really, really good. Um, one thing I, di I didn't tell you this, but it's been a really big chat. It's been a really big part of our lives is that when I left the job that I was at, my kids were going there also. Mm -hmm. So I pulled them out of that school to send them to the public school in the area that we live. And that was such a hard thing. I mean, that was the really one yeah. of the hardest. I mean, I could really just get, I don't want to try not to get emotional, but it was mm -hmm. really, that was the hardest decision I've ever made revolving around the well-being of my kids. And yeah. it's something that I, I go back and forth with even now, like, did I make the right choice from, for, I mean, I made this choice for me to live a happy, creative life, but did I, did, am I doing my kids justice also? Mm -hmm. um, it depends on what day you ask them, <laughs> but there's been times they've come home and they're like, mom, no one played with me on the playground yeah. or I just haven't made a friend yet or, you know, it's, it's no fun being at school when you have to stay in your classroom all day. And, you know, and that's another reason why we sent them is so that they could be social and, mm -hmm. you know, meet somebody in our neighborhood. So I don't know, that's been a whole nother area. That's just been like, talk about like being a mom. It's hard. Yeah. yeah. I will, I will share my story with you here briefly. I am, I'm right there with you, mama. Uh, yeah. <laughs> We, my youngest is uh, almost five. She'll be five in January. And then um, oldest is seven and in second grade this year. And it was a really tough decision. The preschool that my daughter goes to has been open the whole time. And so she uh, just keeps going there and that's been fine. But my, my oldest, um, you know, going into second grade, the school district, the public school district here made a decision to go virtual for the whole first semester. And um, we learned last spring when he was home that 
learning via Zoom just does not uh, work for him. Mm-hmm. He just does not learn. And so we had to make an extremely tough decision and put him in a brand new private school that popped up mm-hmm. uh, because of COVID. Uh, where they do meet in person, super small class sizes, spend most of the day outside, all of that stuff. Um, but that's sending him where, you know, it's a completely different school structure. It's completely new kids, new teachers, new everything. Um, and we'll just put saying that the first week was rough is putting it extremely nice. Um, (laughs) I was literally in tears every day at drop off and every day on the way home and every night. Uh, And so I am right there with you. Uh, And it's still one of those really tough things, you know, where he's not extremely happy. Um, But it's still like, I still feel it's the right thing for him. Right. Right. Um, but it yeah. doesn't make it easy. It, right no. now, being a parent during a pandemic is not easy, I think, for anybody right now. Yeah, I I, I feel you. I completely <laughs> understand. Um, we've been having a lot of the same conversations at our house that you've probably had, and it's not been fun or easy, and there's been a lot of placing blame. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you know, just like to them not knowing, like, My hope is that five years from now, they look back and they're like, mom, you like, thank goodness you did this for yourself. Like, look how great, look how happy you are. Look how great we are. Mm -hmm. You know, we can eat. Right. (laughs) We can do all the things that we could do before. And, you know, and, and at the end of the day, like as a former teacher, I fully trust the school that mm-hmm. they will take care of my babies, that they will do a good job. I trust the teachers. I try and just like put my faith in their hands and say, you've like, while they're there, I trust that you are going to do the same job that I would do if I were in the classroom and you're right. going to love and care for them. You, you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's all you yeah. can really, do. I mean, I don't know. So yeah. hopefully they're good. And, <laughs> and I hear you. It's just such a hard choice. Right yeah. Now. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's one thing to uh, uh, when you get called out on the rug by a seven year old and said, hey, you didn't consult me about this decision. (laughs) And I'm like, you know, that that's a very fair statement. (laughs) It's a very true statement, Um, you know, and having those conversations. But yeah, it's like, wow, sometimes really grown up things come out of your mouth and uh, have to remember, you know, you do have a voice, too. I understand. So, yeah. Yep. <laughs> totally. Yep. Right there with you. Um, so at least, I mean, the part of the reason I asked though is because like you, you made this decision, made this change to be able to do your art and, mm-hmm. and then a pandemic happens mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and changes how school happens and all right. of those things that were in place that allowed you to be able to get some time to right. create. Um, you know, changes aside, what do you, like, what do you hope your kids get out of, like, like you said, seeing you, you know, make that decision for yourself, watching you be a creative person and, 
you know, make it a business? What, do you, right. what is your hope that they learn from that? I hope that they learn that they can, number one, do anything they want to do when they get older. They can follow a dream that they have. Um, my, main, my main concern for my children and for myself and for my family is that we're happy. And I know that that sounds like so sometimes trite and superficial, but I think um, if you're not living your most happiest, fulfilled, great life, then what are you living? What, what are you doing? Like live your life and be and make it the best that you can because life is very short and we don't know what's going to happen. And um, I hope that they see, I mean, I, I know that they see that I'm happy. And I know that they see a difference too in me. Um, at least my oldest does from last year. And, you know, my, I just hope I'm setting a good example in what, you know, living an authentic life looks like. That's all I can yeah. say. That's all I can ask for. I mean, I think, like you said, it can come off as maybe sounding like superficial, but it is, it is fully true that money cannot buy happiness. So um, money is nice. It's helpful, right? It pays for, yeah. <laughs> pays for clothing and food <laughs> and, and a place to stay. Um, but if how you're making that money doesn't feed your, you know, feed your soul in some way, shape or form, then it, it's also something to say to have like an unhappy, especially with kids, an unhappy parent at home. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm with you, you know, I still have, um, my job job, uh, that I do because my passion work doesn't pay the bills yet. Mm -hmm. Um, but the hope is someday the passion work is what will pay the bills. Um, but also the passion work is what makes it possible for me to even do the job job. Right. Um, And that's not to say that what I do for my day job is bad. It's just, it doesn't uh, feed me the way that being creative does. Right. Um, what would you say, especially to another mom who like has an interest in starting something, you know, creative, mm-hmm. but is hesitant to kind of take that leap? I would say, let me think. I'm trying to think what I, what I did that was not good and some things that I did that I'm like, okay. <laughs> um, make with what you have. You don't need a new tool. Mm-hmm. You don't need to, you don't need Instagram. It's lovely and a great tool to use to network and meet people and get inspiration but it should but once it starts to get to a point where you're comparing yourself to another person shut it down for a little bit and take a step back and focus inward Mm -hmm. um i have to do that sometimes and i'm much i'm really good at it now like i (laughs) i really think of i think of social media as another tool in my studio and not something to use to like look and compare. Mm-hmm. Instead, I like to use that tool as a inspiration and to stay connected with other people like you or 
mm -hmm. Ashley um, or anybody that I that I know. Um, mm -hmm. And I think once you once you do that, it's much 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 more enjoyable um, experience. And then, you know, lastly, like get your kids involved. You know, um, so often we want to like I have to make, and you guys have to watch TV <laughs> while I make. Because right. you cannot interrupt me because <laughs> um, I'm busy. Right. Um, whereas, like, I used to do that. I used to be like, mm -hmm. I need to focus. Um, but instead, now, I'm like, you know, I set up a studio outside. I set up an art studio right outside my art studio for them. So sometimes I'm like, all right, let's all go in the basement. Let's make some stuff. Um, mm -hmm. And it just helps. And, you know, they can walk outside, do some chalk drawings, come inside. They can finger paint I don't care it's in the basement they can get it filthy our mm -hmm. basement is not finished it's really <laughs> ugly so it's it's it works so I guess those are my three tips use okay. what you have get your kids involved and use Instagram as a tool yeah I think those are all excellent tips um, definitely like the Instagram one because it is easy to get sucked into that trap of uh, comparison yeah and not understanding that you may be comparing yourself to somebody who started 10 or 20 years before you did. Mm -hmm. um, totally. And then also, yeah, the, the kid thing is, is crucial. I, I recently just learned that this year too, because of the pandemic of like, okay, if I wait until they're busy or force them to like, you know, well, not really force them. My kids would love to jump on anything electronic, but <laughs> if, if I put that in front of them uh, because I need to focus, you know, there is some level of like power tools and safety and all of that. Same. But, um, you know, I've started embracing a little bit more of like, well, there's work I have to do for prep or layout or whatever that doesn't require those things I'm worried safety wise and why not have them working in the same space. Right. Um, or, you know, helping me when they can, uh, if that's something they're interested in. I have one who is and one who isn't and that, mm -hmm. you know, is just the way that it is, but yep. um, I've embraced that more and I, and I find that it makes it, it makes it easier uh, to get work done especially in times where I do have to be like, okay, I'm going to turn these tools on and I need you to be inside. So you're safe. Mm -hmm. um, like they understand that a little bit better because they've worked in that space or right. even just the fact that I've given them a little extra time, then it's a less of a, um, a need to interrupt, you know? Um, yeah. I, I think um, we established pretty good, like what, like you said, like, they obviously can't be in here when I'm sifting enamel. It's not good for anybody to breathe in. And mm -hmm. there are chemicals that I work with that are not okay for them to use. But there are like sanding, those prep works, mm -hmm. all of that, you know, filing even. Nora loves to file the edges of my enamel pieces, <laughs> <laughs> which I'm like, thanks. That's right. Child <laughs> labor is, is an okay thing when it's a family business. That's exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, like just, just having them do something also mm -hmm. lets them see like, Hey, this was a lot of work. Yeah. You know, and there, I, we, I'm doing this Virgin Mary statue for a buddy of mine, retired teacher. <laughs> and, you know, I cement, I had them help me scrape off the paint. They were like, ah, uh, we're done. 
Yeah. So I was like, okay, bye. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, my, my oldest, the one who's going to the, the private school right now, he ended up having to, you know, three weeks of school and then had to stay home for two weeks because they had a COVID positive case. And mm-hmm. uh, so corn, everyone in the class has to quarantine. So he wanted to do a resin galaxy project. And I'm like, sure. Yeah, we can make that your like science project for the day while you're at home. And so I'm like working with him and about three minutes into it, I think he was like bored. Um, and so he's like, okay, I'm done now. I'm going to go play. I'm like, all right. So, <laughs> you know, so like, I'm like finishing his artwork for him or whatever, but. Yeah, um, but did it, did it turn into something that you liked after her? <laughs> it did. It did. Yeah. yeah. My wife walked by and she's like, that turned out really nice. I'm like, thank you. Cause I'm the <laughs> doing it. Um, <laughs> That's so funny. I know. Yeah, um, I always I always feel bad for the other kids in the class when they have like a maker or artist mom, because I'm like, oh, we're studying and our we're doing wax museum. Do you guys do that? No. Oh, okay, well, wax museum. They study a famous person. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, wax museum, sweet. Who do you want to pick? And it ended up being Frida Kahlo. And mm-hmm. I was like, great, like let's do this amazing quote and a painting. And I'm going to make a costume and we're going to do all these great things. We're going to have a backdrop. So when you're at the wax museum, you have, yeah, feel bad for everybody else. (laughs) Yeah. It can't be too good because then other parents start asking you to make their Halloween costumes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Be careful. Exactly. Well, and that's just it. Now I'm sucked in because now I have all these silicone molds, Halloween silicone molds. So now my son's like, all right, so you're going to bring that and the resin and you're going to teach the whole class how to do these, right? I'm like, okay, sure, sure. That's <laughs> exactly what I'm going to do. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm here for. That's right. <laughs> well, Emily, we're actually at the end of our time together, um, but I want to give you a chance to tell everyone how they can follow along with you and find you on all the interwebs. Oh, thanks. And Katie, thank you so much for having me. This was, this was yeah. an absolutely lovely conversation. And as nervous as I was before <laughs> it started, I'm much better now. So you can call me anytime. Good. <laughs> um, but you can follow me on Instagram at Emily Joyce official. Um, the official is just funny. That's the only reason it's there. Um, and then I have a website, which is www.emilyejoyce.com. Okay. And I think that's it. I have All a right. YouTube, but there's nothing going on. <laughs> I've not, I don't even know how to use it. And, you know, mm-hmm. Instagram's where it's at. There you go. For me. So there thank you, you. No, no TikTok yet? No dancing no. while you're uh, sifting or anything? I'm like actually that? very nervous to even speak on Instagram. I'm, I'm still so shy that I can't even talk to the camera. And Ashley's like, you can do it. You can Video do it. yourself before <laughs> and then add it. And I'm like, I, I still can't. I, here's here's the trick. Here's the trick. I'm going to yeah. tell you the trick. You ready? The I'm trick ready. is act like you're talking to your best friend. Okay. Just act like you're like, say like, this is what I did today. That's all you gotta do. Okay. And then it's super easy. Call up my BFF and just say it. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'll try. I still, (laughs) it might be another six months, but we'll see. All right. Well, I'll cheer you on the first time I see you. Thank you. I I appreciate it. Stay tuned. And again, Katie, I, I really appreciate you doing this. I, 
one more thing I just have to say, like, I looked at all of the episodes and my hope is to make it through all of them. But I mean, what a great, nice. what a great thing for the community. So thank you for taking yeah. the time to do well, it. You're welcome. And really, I have said it before, uh, if you make it back through all the episodes, you will hear me say it. This is really quite a selfish endeavor. I enjoy speaking to all of these awesome makers. Yeah. Uh, so even if there was no other aspect to it, I think I would still do it just because I really enjoy it. So totally. Yeah. All right, again, that was Emily of Emily Joyce Official, and I will include all the links on how you can follow along with her in the show notes. Now, the best way to find those show notes is to make sure you're following along with Maker Mom Podcast over on Instagram. That's just at Maker Mom Podcast, or you can check out freemanfurnishings.com and find all the show notes there. If you are really enjoying the podcast and you want to help support it, there are a few things you can do. Probably the quickest, easiest uh, way, and it costs you nothing at all, is to make sure that you hit that subscribe button on whatever app you are listening to the podcast on. Then head on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. That helps all of the app's algorithms know that this is a podcast that others should listen to, so that's very helpful. Also, make sure that you're sharing on social media, on Instagram, you know, share out about your favorite episode and your stories, or even in your feed. All of that is very uh, much appreciated and helps others find the podcast. Now, if you want to up your game as far as supporting the podcast, you can come on over and join the tribe over on Patreon. Um, it is an ever-growing tribe. There's many different tier levels that you can join. There's a $1, 3 and $5 tier level that comes with different merchandise. Um, all of it gets you into the tribe, though, into the podcast tribe, and gets you access to extra content and fun things like uh, newly trying to set up live interviews via Zoom. So you can join in and get access to that interview as it is happening. Uh, versus, you know, those of you who are not patrons, you do get to listen to those as well, just not when it's being recorded. So that's kind of fun, gives you extra access to get to ask your own questions at the end of the episode to those makers, and that's that's just fun. Um, there's also a $30 a month tier level, uh, but those spots are limited. That makes you an official sponsor of the podcast and gets you your own a specialized shout out somewhere during the episode itself. Um, so again, those spots are limited. If that's something you're interested in, make sure you check that out sooner rather than later. All right, it is Friday. We are into getting into mid-October now, which at least in my parts of the world means leaves are pretty much fully changed. It's gorgeous outside, uh, lots of bright, beautiful colors to look at and enjoy nature. Um, I hope you have a fantastic weekend spending time with your family. Hope you're getting out into the shop and getting to make something. And until next week, I will see you later. Thank you for listening to the Maker Mom podcast. You can connect with the Maker Mom community in the Facebook group page, Maker Moms. And remember, if you enjoyed listening to this episode, please subscribe, leave an awesome review, and share this out with other Maker Moms you know. Oh,